This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Your Money on Business Radio. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Your Money, SiriusXM, Channel 132, Business Radio, that's powered by the Wharton School. I'm Ken Smothers, the professor here at the Wharton School, and uh, still are doing shows by Zoom, but you can connect with me by going to my website, kentonmoney.com. And so you certainly can't avoid headlines these days about Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, but like lots of investments, you have to do your homework ahead of time to make sure you understand what you're investing into. Um, and so my guest today, Pam Kruger, is the founder and CEO of WealthRamp. It's an online resource that connects consumers with uh, fee-only advisors, and she's also the creator in, of the investor education program called Money Track, which is seen on over 250 PBS uh, stations. And so, Pam, thanks for coming back on the show today. Great to be here. Thanks. And so, with, without getting too technical, you know, it, it, certainly people hear everything about crypto and there's so many different types of crypto coins and so forth out there, but. Just explain what is a cryptocurrency like like Bitcoin. Sure, because there's a million different crypto conversations going at any given time. You know, Ken, I think of crypto as a digital store of value, and it's it serves as a currency. You know, maybe don't consider it a currency yet, but it serves as a currency. Um, Meaning that Bitcoin as a store of value, it allows just like any other concern. Uh, currency is going to facilitate or it's going to allow people to transact or trade with each other directly without using a central entity like a bank. So instead of having a bank in the middle of every wire transaction between you and your friends, say, or relying on a bank to act as the custodian to hold your money for you on deposit, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, take out that middleman and therefore, they're not under the control of any central bank or government, which is important to the genesis of Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin, from everything I've read, um, was actually designed by a group of programmers who basically questioned, you know, do we need banks? Can't we just yeah. create a system whereby we trade directly? I mean, remember back in 2007, 2008, uh, big over banks caused the global financial meltdown that we now refer to as the financial crisis. And um, for any currency to be accepted, uh, it has to be scarce. So you ask, well, how does that happen? And and, uh, because anybody could just go out and create it if it's not scarce, right? If it doesn't have a finite number. So the number of Bitcoin uh, is the coins themselves or the tokens themselves is actually capped at 21 million. And it's, it's really Bitcoin. We talk about Bitcoin all the time because it's emerged as the best known of all of these digital currencies because it was the first. But today, um, I think that there is something like, you know, at least 2,000 other coins out there. Uh, but really, it's the top five. It's Bitcoin, it's Ethereum, it's Cardano, it's Ripple. Um, but there are a lot of alternative coins. Right. Yeah, everybody's trying to get it into the action and yeah and you're, you're absolutely right the the genesis behind this was trying to get rid of the trusted third party and that certainly had a lot of messaging value 
when Bitcoin uh, launched right a couple of weeks right after Lehman Brothers uh, uh, collapsed. It's also one reason why it's such an inefficient transactional engine because of getting rid of that trusted third party requires a decentralization cryptography algorithm that's very costly to compute. So talk to me about, you know, why there's so much interest now. I mean, just to go back in history, they actually the first crypto really never took off called Bitgold. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but it was actually about eight or nine years before Bitcoin. But the timing wasn't right. And Bitgold never got any traction. And Bitcoin was the second iteration of all that and made some algorithm improvements, but really launched, as you pointed out, at really the right time. But, you know, so it's been around for now probably a good decade or more, 12, 13 years. And so what's going on right now? Uh, well, is it just the, the exchanges are set up or other things? Well, I, I think that it, it, it could have been all that. But, you know, when you enter into it, the blockchain technology yeah. that cryptocurrencies are built on, which is, you know, using the ledger system to verify transactions, record keeping. Right. Um, and the only reason it's called blockchain is because it's like blocks of data that get linked together over the history of transactions, that blockchain ledger cannot be erased. Um, And so, you know, in a very practical way, think of real estate records and, you know, all the records that get created when you simply sell your house. How much faster would the sale of your house go if it's all done using blockchain technology? Every record, you know, can be updated, can be verified, it's secure. So I think that this is um, looking at, for me anyway, and, and for people who are talking to me about investing in this space, if you will, I'm going to break down for you in a couple of minutes, the five groups, the five kinds of, the five reasons that people are hungry to invest in this. But let's not, let's not talk about Bitcoin without talking about the blockchain technology on which it's built. Yeah. And, and so you're basically saying, I mean, because is it a case that people are trusting the third parties even less today than they were in 2008, nine, or is it, do you think it's a lot of these, the Coinbase and the others who make it more transactionally kind of easy to buy into this stuff? I mean, is this like a similar feeding frenzy, say the GameStop earlier this year? You know, I mean, the GameStop situation this year, yes and no. The meme stock frenzy, uh, where you suddenly had groups, or you can even call them mobs online that were yeah. buying shares of one company, in this case, let's call it GameStop, okay, hoping to drive up the price really quickly. Now, what's similar is that the source of information or misinformation feeding the frenzy and the trading platform, in that case, Robinhood, made it very easy for people to just come in, pay zero commissions and, you know, costs to buy it. And really it all comes down to one thing emotionally. That was all about FOMO, fear of missing out, jump on the bandwagon and that's betting on the price, right? So the, on Reddit, the community and the, and the bulletin board there where everybody was talking about GameStop and buy, 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 um, that's called Wall Street bets. You notice it's not called Wall Street invests. So we're talking about people who were coming into GameStop and lots of people who were seeing headlines about cryptocurrencies. They The FOMO of it, they don't want to be left out. So therefore, they get into that mode where they want to gamble on the price 
Well, gambling on the price of anything is basically the same as flipping a coin and you're just betting on heads or tails. So where there's hype, there's going to be fear of missing out. There's going to be FOMO. Um, those people have their fingers on the trigger on Robinhood or wherever it is that's cheap to buy or sell um, with cryptocurrencies, with you know Ethereum, whatever is making the headlines that day, GameStop or whatever. That's a certain type of an investor mindset. It's it's a gambling mindset. It's not yep. a mindset. So what types of questions are you hearing investors you know ask? today uh, around Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies? Uh, since my role is helping individuals find their way to the right fiduciary advisors who are going to help them with that, I'm getting these questions all the time. And, the, and these questions can range from, um, okay, who can help me buy Bitcoin at the best price? Or how can I buy Coinbase and know that, you know, this is the very first time I'm making an investment into this and I don't want to get left out to the investor who's an expert on blockchain technology. Um, for example, we just had a prospective client that came to me just two days ago. He's an engineer who told me that as of last week, he has $5 million in his portfolio. He's in his 40s. His whole portfolio is 5 million. And 3 million of that is in one alternative cryptocurrency, I won't mention, I will say the name because it could change the price. Um, this prospective client is very, very knowledgeable. So he's not betting on the price being higher next Friday. He's really studying the opportunity for a few years forward. And he arguably has done his homework and he knows a heck of a lot about blockchain. Um, so basically we can look at it no matter how you slice it or dice it. People are curious about crypto because they don't want to be left out or because they know enough about it where they are looking at it like it's a really long-term transformative uh, technology and they want to be a part of it. They just don't know how. Yeah, yeah. And so you mentioned these four or five different points that you people are things, questions that investors should ask themselves or, you know, ways that they're sorting themselves uh, uh, into making these investment decisions. So, so explain that. So um, you're making me think of an advisor conversation I just had on Friday with Eric Olson in Chicago. He's one of the advisors in, in my network. Um, and he was saying that there are several mindsets driving these investors. And mind you, these advisors a year ago, Kent, they were not shifting their thinking as much as they are now more to include Bitcoin, cryptocurrencies, um, et cetera, into clients' portfolios. But he says that the investors, what's driving these investors is five things. Number one, like we talked about, you have the gamblers. They tend to be the less informed or the misinformed. And they view this as a cool craze. It's a buzzword. So therefore, they don't want to miss out and they're just going to gamble. Uh, number two, there are the people who want to invest because their philosophy, just like you mentioned a few minutes ago, people came away from the financial crisis and they believed that the government and big private banks should not have control over our money and their policies are not sustainable. And they look at the $28 trillion in US debt right now and they say, look, you know, we need to see crypto as a response 
to the crisis of 08, and they believe that decentralization of currency is much safer. So again, think back to the distrust and the genesis of that philosophy. So you have those kinds of investors. Number three, the third group are those who are captivated by the technology aspect. That's the gentleman I just mentioned to you who's actually understands blockchain and is somehow participating in it. Um, so they see it as a giant opportunity to make money in something that will transform our everyday lives, much like the internet um, in 1989, you know, before it all kind of happened. The fourth group are the institutions that we're starting to see come in. Um, hedge fund managers who maybe a year ago might thought that it was even worthwhile to look at Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies because it would be such a infinitesimally small asset class. But now they're starting to look at it and treat it like it is an asset class, especially as the SEC starts to weigh in to clarify their position. So finally, the fifth group of people who are asking questions about investing, and you probably fall into one of these groups in crypto, um, these are the people who accept Bitcoin right now in crypto. as it, They fully accept it as an asset class, just like they would gold. Um, and they believe that it should have a small role in their portfolio. So in other words, they're not dismissing it as a fad or a craze or even a trend, but they're buying it and they're holding it, but they're only doing that with say between, you know, one to two to maybe 3% of their entire portfolio, not 30%. Yeah, yeah. What, what's a question or two so that somebody should ask themselves? I mean, yes, you describe the types that uh, people who are going into this. But if you're thinking about it not as, uh, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about Illuminati and things like that. I'm not worried about getting rid of that trusted third party. It really is about purely as an investment. Uh, do you see it as, as an asset class there or is it something that is more simply too volatile for that purpose? Well, I mean, personally, for my myself, for example, um, yeah. I, I expect price volatility. It's a totally inefficient pricing right now. I would expect it. But just step back from the hype and ask yourself, why? Why do you want to own it? I mean, yeah. for me, I am just dazzled by the technology. I want to own this for decades. I don't want to own it for years. I don't want to own it for months or weeks. I want to own it for decades into the next generation. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Good. So fantastic, Pam. Thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks a lot, Ken. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And you can find out more about Pam by going to her website, wealthramp.com, as well as her personal website, Pam Kruger, which is K-R-U-E-G-E-R.com. And I'm Ken Spinners. You're listening to Your Money Business Radio Channel 132. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 